From Olympic City and the home of Pikes Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show. All right, here we are rocking it on the Automotive ADHD Show. My name is Matt West, here to talk about cars. Yes, of course, this is a car show. That's why automotive is in the name of the show. What would you think it was about? Refrigerators? I don't know. I am your uh, resident gearhead and, uh, of course, the uh, host of this very show that can be heard around the world as a podcast, also on the radio in Southern Colorado on 91.7 KLZR, Voice of the Wet Mountain Valley. Now, full disclosure before we get into the show, I'm a little sick. I got a head cold, but uh, you know what? What sort of what sort of car enthusiast would I be if that stopped me from talking about cars? And no, it's it's not COVID. It's just some. Um, quick, fast-moving bug. I got got a little bit in my sinuses here. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, uh, I will manage. I will push through because I have a great show lined up for you. Uh, got some heavy-hitting topics, but also some really fun stuff. Uh, we're going to touch base with some unnecessary subscription models in the world of cars. I've talked about that before. Got some new stuff that's interesting. Also, going to talk about the missing Star Wars Celica. This is a real car, and it is wrapped up in murder and drug trafficking and kidnapping, and it's a very exciting story. Going to talk about uh, that a little bit, and also going to hit on the... um, Going to talk about the ultimate Karen and how the uh, the biggest Karen in the world lands a kid a felony. I assume he's a kid. They never said his age. He looks like a younger dude. Lands the dude a felony for doing some donuts. Yeah. And, uh, aren't uh, yeah, you know, donuts, they're you know, pretty tasty, sweet. No, <laughs> not that kind of donut. But anyway, uh, not all doom and gloom. We also have some good news for, from Ferrari. And, of course... Your car sounds right here on the show. Now, uh, ladies, gentlemen, Toyota Crowns, let's talk about um, some interesting stuff with General Motors. Now, um, I am going to give General Motors a little bit of praise here, and then I'm also going to throw uh, a whole lot of criticism at them, but but bear with me. Firstly, um, one interesting thing, they uh, released a patent that they just filed for a variable compression engine. And this is a cool concept that is being looked at heavily by pretty much every auto manufacturer in a in a way to keep, you know, cars competitive with ongoing uh, emissions concerns uh, and efficiency and things like that. You know, things that uh, we as car enthusiasts, <laughs> well, we don't care about it that much. But it is interesting from a mechanical perspective. Me as someone who is just interested in the mechanical engineering behind things, um, I, I look at this and see some kind of cool ideas. So what they're doing There have been different ideas for variable compression engines in the past, but this one basically um, allows you to have an interesting connecting rod that has two different pivot points. One that goes up to the push rod that goes to the piston that travels up and down in the cylinder bore, but then another one, instead of just going from that to the crank, there's another section of this, and I assume this whole assembly pivots. Um, It's sort of a bow-shaped assembly that connects to the uh, crankshaft, well, that connects to another rod that is actuated by uh, a belt, timing chain, servo, something like that, that can actually change the position of this lever, which then interacts and cams against this 
bow-shaped piece that goes to the crankshaft, which then ultimately goes to the connecting rod. The idea being that you are changing the distance in which the connecting rod travels by changing the distance of this fulcrum point, this pivot point, you're changing how far that piston goes up and down in the cylinder. Now, uh, if you recall, uh, when I've talked about uh, compression ratio and how that relates to fuel and octane, I've talked about that in previous shows. And if you've missed that, just scroll through your podcast feed. You will find that information. It is all very good stuff. But uh, essentially what you're doing by making the piston travel less far, you're allowing more space um, uh, for the air and the fuel so the piston doesn't go up quite as far so it's not squeezing that air and fuel mixture as tightly you could say i guess it's not squeezing it as tightly and therefore reducing the compression ratio now when you change this camming device and it allows the piston to travel up further then you are squeezing that fuel ratio that or that fuel mixture i should say you're squeezing that further thus increasing the compression ratio now the reason you would do this is because a lower compression ratio is beneficial for efficiency and fuel economy and it also allows you to run a wide variety of fuels without running into uh, pre-detonation, which is where the fuel uh, explodes during the wrong point in the uh, combustion cycle, thus damaging the engine. So, um, and, uh, so, so it allows you to run maybe lower octane fuels, it allows you to get more fuel economy, more efficiency out of fuels, and it's clear to see why manufacturers are pursuing this, because with fuel prices the way they are, that's probably not going to change directly and immediately. Um, a lot of folks, I've talked to a number of folks and I've seen some threads on the internet of people saying, ah, thinking about getting a smaller car with a more fuel efficient engine. Let's get rid of this big truck or I'm going to get a motorcycle or something. And, uh, very much, uh, reminiscent though. I wasn't around personally for it, but very much reminiscent of history when we had the fuel crisis in the 1970s that drove auto manufacturers to make things more fuel efficient and people wanted to buy smaller and more efficient cars to, you know, sip on gas, just uh, suckle on a little, little bit of gasoline, and um, very similar to that. But the benefit here, uh, so when you have, uh, you know, say, high efficiency, high fuel efficiency engines that have a low compression ratio, when you have that, you lose out, though, on performance and power. And by having a variable compression ratio engine, you are able to get the best of both worlds, you could say, by having um, fuel efficiency and low compression when you want it, when the, you know, computer, you know, commands that, you know, you're just cruising, you're not getting on the gas, you're not doing any sort of spirited driving when you do that versus when you really romp on it or you put the car in sport mode and you're going to the track and you want that high compression ratio. You want that, you know, like in racing. I mean, people always talk about high comp engines, especially when you're looking at the naturally aspirated world. Things get a little, uh, we'll say, uh, bass backwards <laughs> when you uh, talk about uh, turbos. And a lot of guys with turbo applications actually go for a lower compression ratio as opposed to a higher one. But there's a whole different reason for that. And uh, not going to discuss that here right now. But generally, in a naturally aspirated context, you want to you know, have as high of a compression ratio as possible to get the most power out of a naturally aspirated engine. And uh, doing that, uh, you know, of course, you, you have to toe a line between benefits and things like that. And that goes into, um, you know, that, that goes into, well, if I go for a 
14, 15, 16 to 1 compression ratio. Well, I can't run pump gas anymore. That won't work. So now I can only run race gas. I can only run ethanol or whatever, you know. So you, there is a compromise to that. But generally speaking, more compression ratio, more power, less compression ratio, more efficiency, and more fuel economy. So this is cool. Now, I will say to um, uh, General Motors here, the fact that they're com- creating a whole system that changes the rotating assembly of the engine, the crankshaft that connects to the rods, to the piston. All of that seems a bit unnecessary because there have been designs that are currently in production. Toyota does this with some of their variable valve timing uh, on some of their later like 2GR FE engines in in their whole lineup, um, where instead of messing with the crankshaft at all, all you do is you use the variable valve timing that's already there to um, uh, allow when the computer commands it to leave one of the valves open longer, like, say, the exhaust valve. By leaving that open longer, normally your piston would travel to the bottom, the intake valve would be open, letting air in as the piston is sucking that air in. Then the piston starts compressing that air, adding fuel and all that stuff, and that valve closes. The intake and exhaust valve are both, both closed on the compression stroke, squeezing that air and fuel down, and then that blows up, shoots the uh, piston back down, then then your exhaust valve opens. That's the whole four-stroke um, combustion cycle. But by leaving, say, the exhaust valve open a little bit, um, or the intake valve, one or the other, when the piston is actually traveling upwards, compressing stuff, um, you're therefore reducing, you're letting some of that air get out and not get compressed, and you're effectively reducing the uh, compression ratio by essentially using the variable valve timing to induce a a fake leak in the valve, you could say. Uh, maybe that's the best way to describe this. Uh, and you're inducing a fake leak in that valve. For instance, if you have leaky or worn out valves, that's one thing you'll find is your compression will be down on an engine that's heavily worn or damaged. Well, you're just inducing that you know, through the variable valve timing deliberately to reduce the compression ratio in this sense. So I think the the solution General Motors has a little bit too complicated and probably too expensive. That's my initial impression looking at their patent filing, because there's already, in my opinion, maybe I'm not an engineer. I'm not an engineer. I would be happy for some engineers to call me out and uh, even join me on the show and break this down a little bit further, but that's how I understand it. So uh, anyway, now enough of praising General Motors for an interesting mechanical design. Um, let's uh, let, let's criticize them some. <laughs> hey, we're, we're I'm all fair and, and unbiased here, except when it comes to Toyota. They can do no wrong. But otherwise, I am fair and unbiased when it comes to automotive manufacturers. I hate them all. I love them all equally as much. And uh, that said, General Motors... Uh, recently in a statement said they, and this is unrelated to the engines now, but they said they are expecting that auto buyers, car buyers, will pay high subscription fees for services in cars. Now, before we get into that, let me preface this with saying that the average new car price as of 2021, last year, is $45,000. That is the average price, and that's according to uh, Kelly Blue Book. Those are official numbers. And that means a 60-month car payment is roughly around the $850 mark, which is insane. Uh, maybe maybe to average people, that's normal. But to me, like, gosh, I own cars that cost less than $850 in their entirety. That's not just the payment. So, I don't know. Maybe that's just... Uh, Maybe that's just the the cheap person in me talking, but 
Oh, gosh, that's a ton of money. Now, General Motors expects another $135 a month in subscriptions on top of that $850 a month car payment. Now, I have talked about subscription services before at length on this show, talked about several months ago how Toyota, um, how Toyota decided to do a subscription service for their key fob and their remote start. And there was massive, massive backlash at this. And, uh, and it was, uh, it was substantial and Toyota, you know, decided, okay, we'll listen to our customers and not do that. Yeah. That's what they said. Good decision on them, I reckon. But, uh, having said that general motors seems to be of a differing opinion saying, yeah, we expect customers to pay about this much. Now that's not just including your, uh, satellite radio or your, um, you know, your 4G connectivity in the car, you know, your your GPS. That's not including that. That's including all sorts of features as manufacturers are trying to figure out ways to put, you know, uh, uh, power seats and extra driving modes behind a software paywall. I mean, this is like, you know, when you think of these, think of them like in-app purchases uh, you do on your phone. Like, say you have a, a mobile game on your phone, uh, and if you... If you have kids, by the way, and they play a game on your phone and they, they start buying stuff that, in the game that uses real money, you, you know all about this. But uh, say you have that and you're buying stuff in the, the software to allow you other features of the software or the video game or whatever it is. Well, they're trying to apply that to cars and it just doesn't work when a car has a mechanical feature that is physically there, but blocking the, but the manufacturer blocks you from using it via software is fundamentally a flawed concept, in my opinion. Uh, and uh, Tesla is famous for this, for putting, for instance, their ludicrous mode and their, uh, you know, the high-speed performance driving mode, as well as the uh, auto, the self-driving, the autopilot feature. So the, mechanically and physically, the car has the, the capability to do that. It's just locked with software. They're famous, I would say infamous rather, not just famous, infamous for, for uh, doing that. And I don't think, you know, that is a way to buy and own a car because you bought the car. You physically own the machine, but by saying you can't use all of the parts that you purchased, you don't really own it. And moreover, you also... Um, you, when you have a car like that and you sell it, for instance, um, the subscription services say you bought the performance driving mode, the ludicrous mode, and you sell your Tesla. Well, that that performance mode is tied to your account. You still have that, you know, ability to do that. And then the person who buys the car from you, second or third hand, then has to go in and buy that again, even though the car is physically capable of doing it. It's just a really backwards way of thinking when you think about the way ownership of a of an item works the way ownership of property works so that said while general motors expects their customers to pay that in the near future a survey came out saying that well general motors is very out of touch with said customer base because uh cox automotive they do uh, a number of surveys and look at marketing and trends they did their own survey and found that 75 percent of consumers say that they would absolutely not put up with subscription services. 75% is a substantial number. We're not talking, oh, 13% of buyers say they wouldn't. No, no, we're, we're saying 75%. Absolutely, mathematically, the majority of people say they don't want subscription services at all. Now, I have to wonder about the 25% of people who said they are totally fine with that and... um 
Cox Automotive in their survey uh, also asked the same question. And they asked of those 25% of car buyers who said they would be willing to pay subscription services, they said that um, a good chunk of those uh, 80% of those 25% of people, if that makes sense, uh, said that they are willing to pay 30 to 35 a month if, not 135, but 30 to 35 a month if those uh, features involve safety. So say paying a subscription service for like active lane keep and all of that, that stuff, which uh, for a safety item, I would argue even more that you shouldn't pay a subscription service because... Um, well, what if your, your credit card expires and you get a new card, you know, and you forget to change the number on your, your billing and suddenly, oh no, the bill lapses and you don't have that safety feature and you don't notice. And then you get in a crash wondering why your safety thing did not engage, be it, um, you know, again, uh, active braking or any of those things. So, uh, now more of these people said they would pay subscription services for, uh, creature comforts, heated seats, um, you know, remote start. Stuff like that. I mean, yeah, you could honestly live without that stuff and not pay the subscription, but come on. If the car, if, if mechanically, we, I keep coming back to the same point. If you own the vehicle and mechanically it has the ability to do that you and you paid for that, you're not licensing the use of the car. You're not leasing. It might be different if you're, say, leasing a car. But if you're truly, uh, genuinely owning the car, then there's no contest to this. There's, you just, you should be not just allowed that, you should be entitled those features because you bought them you're not licensing the use from them from the manufacturer but anyway there you go that is uh, that is my thoughts on uh, subscription services and also about 75 percent of other consumers seem to agree with that so i would say without a shadow of a doubt that i am not in the minority with this opinion and hopefully you agree with me but you know what if you don't that's okay let me know your thoughts on the automotive adhd facebook page facebook.com slash automotive adhd now i got more stuff coming up gonna talk about a kid who got a felony for doing donuts yeah that's next and now for how things work with an engineer engines speed and that was how things work with an engineer for more of how things work go to patreon.com slash throttle warrior All right, here we are rocking it for the next segment of the Automotive ADHD show. Matt West here talking about cars. Those car sounds are courtesy of Devin and his LS-swapped Volvo 240, friend of the show. Great car, by the way. You look at a Volvo 240 and you don't think, oh, yeah, it's totally got a V8 in it. But <laughs> that one does, and apparently it blows the tires off going through third gear. So that is uh, that's cool. That is very cool. Now, I want to thank... Uh, Devin for sending that car sound in and I also want to encourage you to do the same if you've got car sounds you want to share and also perhaps be entered to win a $25 gift card and a cool at least in my opinion keychain well you can send those car sounds to uh, the Facebook page facebook.com slash automotive ADHD as well as uh, my email if that's if emails your speed matt at throttlewarrior.com also, I want to thank uh, the patrons real quick. Uh, Renai, James, Harry, Robert, they're all receiving the show early. Part of the early access program on the Patreon. If you're interested in that, check it out. Patreon.com slash Throttle Warrior. Now, before I talk about this kid who got a felony for sliding his car around, I say, again, he wasn't 
He's he's not been convicted yet, but he has been charged with it. There is a distinction there. But that said, uh, before we talk about that, I do have some good news, especially for connoisseurs of engine sounds like, uh, you know, myself. Uh, Ferrari has announced that the V12 isn't going anywhere. Yep. <laughs> so they... Um, posted a social media saying a new uh, so a, they posted a social media a post on social media saying that a new ferrari is coming with uh, a unmistakably ferrari heart you could say and uh they say it is going to be powered by their iconic v12 engine and uh, this is only good news news and music to my ears when every supercar manufacturer is saying well we're doing uh, we're doing a v10 instead of a V12, <laughs> Lamborghini. Um, we're uh, doing a V8 instead of a V10 now. Oh, we're doing a Turbo 6 instead of a V8 now. Oh, we're doing a Turbo 4 instead of a Turbo 6. Oh, we're doing EV now. Okay, you see how the progression goes, right? Well, in the midst of that, in that climate, Ferrari comes through like a shining, expensive red horse, a very expensive and a very quick to depreciate red horse, but nonetheless... A shining red horse and they are uh saying yeah we got we got v12s we're gonna be putting them in cars and uh a new car is coming will i be buying this ferrari of course not there's nothing i could sell that i own that would afford me this ferrari but the fact is that they're making a v12 and i don't care if i can't buy it right now i don't even care i am i am merely supportive of amazing engines amazing car sounds keeping these cars on the road even for years is as, um, you know, uh, people's tastes change. I mean, come on. You, you can never, you will never find something that sounds better than a Ferrari V12. You just won't. I think some of the best sounding engines of all time, I won't say all Ferrari V12s sound the same, but you, you look back at, like, uh, the Ferrari 250 GTO and the way that just simple engine, you know, carbureted V12 sounded, and again, it's just pure motoring. I love that. That's a that's a big part of uh, you know what brings me to being a car enthusiast. So props on Ferrari for uh, for doing that. So anyway, now let's uh, let's shift to uh, something else here. I'll play. Uh, let me play you a quick sound clip. Yeah, so that is not the sound of a listener-sent-in car sound. Unfortunately, it's not. That's the sound of a dude doing donuts in a very empty parking lot in his Miata. And uh, why this is relevant and why this is perhaps one of the bigger stories to hit the automotive sector this past week is because this was a young man, presumably. Uh, I can't say he was a kid. They, you know, going off of the photo of him, he looks younger. Okay, he's driving a Miata. All right, it's an NA Miata. They're not the most expensive thing in the world. Probably a younger guy. He's doing donuts. Well, what happened is two days after said donuts were done, two days after that, uh, he was uh, arrested. Uh, police knocked on his door, said they were going to be taking him to the county jail, and they'd be impounding his car for that. Now, why did this happen? Now, this happens a lot. I guarantee if you've been to car meets and people have been swinging cars around, the cops show up and, you know, impound the cars. And you know what? They're within the law to do that. Okay. Where this story has become controversial is this young dude was sliding his car around endangering literally no one like the vid there is a video of it on the irving police department facebook page they posted a they put up a whole post 
talking about essentially how proud they were that they caught this dangerous villain, of course. Uh, I don't know if you can hear the sarcasm in my voice, but uh, that said, you know, it was a very empty parking lot, like hugely empty. And he was charged, of all things, with a felony. Yeah, a felony. Now, um, you know, for the benefit of my international listeners, I don't know how laws work in your country, but here in the United States, a felony conviction, uh, which bear in mind, he was charged. He's not been convicted. There is a distinction there, but he's been charged with it as of right now. Um, A felony conviction, though, is massively detrimental to one's life here in the United States. A felony is one of the highest forms of crime you can be charged with. I won't say it's the highest, but it is essentially one of the highest, you know, things that you can be charged with because once you're convicted of a felony, I mean, your ability to get employment, zero, almost zero. Your ability to go anywhere, make any money, do anything and live some semblance of a normal life and have the ability to, um, you know, participate in different sectors of citizenship and government and things like that is completely, completely nullified once you have that felony on your record Uh, and it doesn't go away. Right. So it's that's what's controversial here. You know, you you see a um, uh, discongruity in the crime that was committed. So he was doing donuts in a parking lot. And I come from, you know, admittedly, I come from a little bit of a bias, right? I'm a car guy. Uh, I have, I have absolutely slid a car around in a parking lot. I, a lot of us growing up have done that, have been around that. And, uh, is it legal? Of course not. Can I recommend that you do it? No, I can't because it's illegal. But the fact is that it's a fairly harmless act. It's fairly harmless. And the issue is that in the the controversy here, fairly harmless thing that he did compared to the gravity and the weight of what he has been charged with. And on this uh, Facebook post from the Irving Police Department, there are about 10,000 comments on it, uh, majority of which, uh, you know, uh, a majority of which of these people are of the opinion this is an absolutely, uh, absolutely an overextension of what the law should be doing and, you know, and what should be allowed. Now, is it legal to slide your car in a parking lot? No, it's not. If you get caught, you're going to get in trouble. But the sort of trouble you get into is usually a traffic infraction. It might be something as bad as reckless or dangerous driving, which depending on your state can be a really bad thing. I mean, that can really, really screw up your ability to get car insurance. But by no means is it a felony. It's like a civil offense. It's not, uh, by no means is it like, you know, a true felony. It's bad. It sucks. Don't get caught doing it. Don't do it. And if you do it, don't get caught doing it. Moral of the story, right? But a felony, on the other hand, still is hugely different. Now, what happened here? And I'll, I'll just kind of go into this. Um, I don't want to focus on the doom and gloom of this, of course. This show is usually a little more lighthearted, but this is just an interesting thing to highlight. So um, the uh, police department, Irving Police Department, Irving, California. I don't know if I said this was in California, but if you couldn't already guess it was in California, well, <laughs> now now you know for sure. Uh, but they said a concerned resident by the name of Karen. Sorry, I added the Karen part in there. But they said a concerned resident emailed our department a video of a car doing donuts in the Great Park parking lot. And then it says, uh, go, they go on to say our traffic detectives immediately went to work uh, and identified the driver. Uh, they said that they determined that the dangerous maneuvers caused $3,700 in damage to the parking lot in terms of um, 
uh, the skid marks, basically, is what they're saying. Um, now, they didn't damage the actual pavement. This is just the t rubber on the parking lot. And this is where they're getting the felony conviction from because, or sorry, felony uh, charge. Again, got to clarify, conviction charge, they're different. But um, this is where they're getting that because something over a certain amount of cost in the state of California is considered a felony. So this is where they're getting that from. Now, is the owner of the parking lot. Parking lots are traditionally private property. They're not part of the main road, though in many places in the United States, uh, just because they're private property doesn't mean you can't get charged with like reckless driving there. And a lot of times there are a lot of places, uh, and I'm speaking generally, but a lot of places they are considered publicly accessible spaces and are therefore um, uh, and are therefore uh, subject to you know, some traffic rules uh, in a limited context. So just because it's private property, I can do donuts here, whatever. Well, if it's um, if it's an open parking lot, it's not like gated off or anything. Um, it's uh, you can still get charged with stuff in most cases. So but this is where they're pulling the felony convict or felony charge from. I keep saying conviction, but this is where they're pulling that from is that the skid marks will cost more than thirty seven hundred dollars to clean up from the parking lot. Does that actually mean the owner cares about this? Um I'm purely speculating here, but looking at the video, um, it looks like there's a lot of plenty older skid marks that are faded, and it probably don't care, but for the sake of journalistic integrity, we can't comment on that because we don't know for sure. Now, had this happened in another place other than California, uh, I'm sure in any smaller town, smaller area, uh, I'm sure what would have happened, he would have gotten in trouble. Cops would have said, okay, son, uh, we're we're going to go take you into the jail. We'll ring you through. We'll try to scare it out of you a little bit. Uh, you'll go to court and you're not going to get anything terrible. Uh, and you might have to do com some community service, you know, if we really want to throw the book at you. And then they would probably send him out there with a pressure washer or something and he could you know, do his community service cleaning off the, the skid marks or whatever, right? Um, but by purely slapping a felony at him, that puts that on a different level. And um, it puts it on a very different level. Now, will he actually get convicted of this? Obviously, this will go through our courts, and the courts probably will not side with this young hooligan sliding his car recklessly, as they said, through the, the parking lot. Um, they probably won't, but I, I honestly doubt any sensible judge uh, is going to look at this and say, yes, son, you deserve a felony. They're going to say, all right, we'll bargain it down. We'll do something because you're a young guy. This is really not that bad. Uh, you know, this is terrible for, you know, if you have to, you know, pay to fix this or we might make you pay that $3,700 and have a professional power washing crew come out and clean it up, whatever. Um, he probably, I really don't think he'll get stuck with that felony, but just the fact that they're throwing that at him to scare him, it just means that they're also trying to make an example of him. And what this means as car enthusiasts, like what, what do we take away from this, right? Like it's, it's all fine to, you know, gawk at this and say, oh, he got a felony. Oh crap. Well, where do, what do we get from it though? Which is, I think what we get from this is that we need to even more so now support local uh, racetracks and event venues and places where you can do this legally and cheaply is the important thing because, um, this dude was exhibiting some great aspects of car control. He was learning his car. One of the best ways you can do that is by sliding your car around and feeling it at the limit of traction. And the problem is a lot of racetracks, we have a culture and a climate right now that's not very friendly to racetracks in a business sense. A lot of racetracks are uh, having to close down. If you want to hear about racetracks closing down, you need to listen to my interview with um, uh, Connor Hudson from a few weeks back. Filmmaker Connor Hudson, he talks about 
racetracks closing down. And it's a, it's a great interview. I encourage you to listen to it after this episode. But um, the fact is, it's getting more expensive for insurance reasons for racetracks to operate. And as a result, they have to charge more. A young guy like this sliding around a cheap Miata that's probably on some you know cheap drift spares that he got from the back of a tire shop for free definitely doesn't have the kind of money to be dropping five six hundred bucks on a track event to just go hoon the car around and learn his car he absolutely doesn't but the more support you can give to local track events as well um the more they are able to keep their events cheaper and the more volume of people that interact with them the more they're able to actually keep stuff affordable so i would say that's the best thing we should do again i can't officially condone that you slide your car around in a parking lot have I done it? I mean, come on. Haven't we all done it? But either way, best of luck to this guy. I hope his uh, legal battles are successful, and I hope he doesn't get the book thrown at him too hard. And I think we, we just need that. This guy needs to get some sort of actual justice for this, for us as car enthusiasts, to, to, not, to, to not have governments also say that any car thing you do, sliding a car around, is going to be terrible. So I think this is important for all of us. This dude needs to get a break. That's my official opinion right here. Now, hey, don't go anywhere. I got some great stuff to talk about, like the Star Wars Celica and how it involves murder and mystery. This is really cool. I'll tell you about it in just a minute. At the Speed Council, getting things done fast is our priority. We do everything fast, from driving, working, sleeping, and eating. Someone help! He's choking! This is Tim. Hello. And by the time this ad is over, he'll have bicycled across the earth 69 times. Nice. Even if our name sounds unfamiliar, you know our work. F1? Pfft, child's play. The world's first supersonic jet? Yep, that was us. Apollo 11? Also us. The fastest animal in the sea? Hell, we even wrote the Wikipedia article. Fast. And we're so dedicated to speed that we've genetically engineered the world's first hyperspeed speed machine. With this scientific breakthrough, you can download your favorite automotive podcast a whole day early. How's that for fast? Patreon.com slash Throttle Warrior. Donate now. Download the show early and receive special perks. This message approved by the Speed Council and the Church of Fast Things. There we go. You are listening to the Automotive ADHD Show. I'm your host, Matt West. That is Shane Hyde in his 2004 Cadillac CTSV, sounding fantastic. Uh, and of course, if you want to send those car sounds into the show, I can only encourage you to do that. Facebook.com slash Automotive ADHD, as well as uh, Matt at ThrottleWarrior.com. Remember, a $25 gift card is on the line. You could win it. And also a really cool keychain. So... Yeah, get down on that. Let's get more of those car sounds. I want to get some more stuff here on the show. I really love having that as a way to interact with you, the listener, um, and and be able to kind of feature some of your stuff on the show. This can't just be all about me. I know I'm, I'm sitting here mon- monologuing to you for 45 minutes, but come on. We got to get some more of your stuff on here. Definitely, definitely got to do it. Now, earlier this week was the unofficial Star Wars holiday. Yeah, what's the Star Wars holiday? May 4th, because, get it, May the 4th be with you. Ah, uh, 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 yes, you could, you could see my excitement there. Um, but uh, it is, it is, you know, and for fans of Star Wars, it's fun, right? Well, I saw an interesting article about a Toyota Celica from 1977 that was built 
as a promotional item for the first Star Wars film. And this is actually really cool. It's for one, I love old Toyotas. I'm, you know, I've said this in the past. I'm, I'm unbiased with all manufacturers except Toyota because they're the best. And uh, <laughs> I know, I know, but um, it's an old Celica and it's a very cool body style of Celica for one. They kind of look like Mustangs of that vintage, but sort of different. They look like little mini Japanese muscle cars and that, that's just cool. That, they're fun. They're not that fast. They have the 22R engine, which is a reliable engine, four cylinder, not very fast, doesn't really rev all that high. That's okay, though. It's no 4AGE, but it is, you know, reliable. My first car, I had a Toyota 4Runner, an 88 4Runner, still a first-gen, boxy with the removable top on it. Um, that was my first car, and it had the 22R, and that was a cool engine. Really reliable little engine. So, uh, that said, the Celica, though, this one in particular, was made to be a promotional piece for the film, and it was designed to be given away. It was a, There was a sweepstakes for this car. Now, it had been modified at a professional body shop more on them in just a minute but it had been modified with a cool paint job it's silver with a stripe along the side that has like a galaxy inside of it all these different stars and then on the the hood it's got a mural of darth vader and then it says star wars in literally every place you can imagine and then it has a cool body kit inspired by the way um from uh, one of the uh, celica pace cars official racing pace cars at the time. So that's cool. It's got this kind of aggressive body kit with wide fenders and fender, or uh, rather, um, uh, why am I drawing a blank on it? Side skirts. There we go. There we go. I swear I talk for a living and sometimes words just like they disappear <laughs> as soon as you try to grab them. But uh, that said, um, this thing is, is cool. It is objectively cool looking. The problem is, why don't we know more about it? Well, the issue comes from the fact that the shop that was designed to do this, which was uh, a shop called uh, Delphi uh, Auto Design, uh, went out of business because of some really sketchy things. Uh, things like uh, murder and drugs and uh, kidnapping. Those are pretty sketchy. Like, murder's pretty darn sketchy. Uh, just throwing that up there. I think we can all agree on that. So they built this car. All right. They did it for 20th Century Fox initially promoting the film. And they did some pictures of it with, you know, uh, uh, people in costumes, a guy dressed up as Darth Vader and the other guys C-3PO and R2-D2. Am I allowed to talk about Star Wars things, by the way, on this show? Because it's a Disney product. Are the, are the Disney overlords going to are going to are they going to come down and kick my door down with like the secret Disney police? I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. If there's no show next week, you know why. But anyway, um, they, they did some cool promotions with this car. And uh, and it's uh, it, it was cool, okay? But this shop later had these, these things that happened. There's not a lot of information as to what exactly happened. All we know is that 20th Century Fox said, Hey, hold on, hold on. We're, uh, we don't want to be associated with that. We don't want our fledgling brand Star Wars. Bear in mind, this was after the first Star Wars film. So it wasn't a huge cult classic. This was a new sci-fi film. And uh, it definitely didn't have the cultural following that it does now uh nearly 50 years later so um you know it was they really wanted to protect this brand you know really you know okay we don't want it being involved in this so the giveaway car there was a sweepstakes for it there allegedly was a winner presumably uh you'd think legally they were required to do that once people put entries in and then the car just disappeared there was no fanfare no publications about it all this promotion prior to it and then just 
vanished. Now, of course, this is in the realm of um, uh, this is in the realm of uh, pre-internet stuff. I'm sure something like this now with internet and social media would absolutely not get swept under the rug. But at the time, it was an easy thing to do. Just kind of make it go away. Now, the thing that has become interesting here is a uh, there's become there's been this big search now to to find the missing Celica. Um, in fact, a screenwriter who in his free time, his name is uh, Dean Shadda, a screenwriter, he's a part-time screenwriter, and in his free time he searches for missing movie cars, uh, has taken up a, a quest to find this missing Celica, and he's been working at it since at least 2016 and still hasn't found it, which is which is peculiar. Now, my theory is this car may have just been... You know, take it, if it didn't, if it wasn't given away to a giveaway winner like it was allegedly supposed to, it might have just been absorbed back into Toyota's fleet. It was a, uh, it was a partnership with Toyota and 21st Century Fox. So, you know, Toyota might have just taken the car back and scrubbed some of the fancy, beautiful airbrushed paint off of it and resold it, made it a press car. We don't know. We don't even know the VIN number on this car. Uh, so that is a. Um, Absolute mystery there. Now, that said, what has been found, uncovered in this investigation uh, into finding this car, is some of the people who used to work at said auto shop, who've kind of come out now and talked about the climate of what was happening there, they said this car was built on the cheap, the paint that was used, the airbrushing, the clear coat was all really inferior quality, really bad quality stuff, and apparently the paint was actually fading just from the promotional appearances that the car went to, being out in the sunlight for, you know, movie showing, sitting there in front of the theater, you know, with the, you know, different, you know, press around it and stuff, press people around it. Just that caused the paint to start fading. So imagine if, you know, someone got a hold of this car and drove it around for a bit and maybe parked it and 50 years later, you know, who knows? It may not be recognizable anymore as the Star Wars Celica. All you would have to go off of, again, is the VIN and um, what uh, what was found from the gentleman investigating this. He tracked down everyone involved with the car and they said they don't have any documents left over anymore. Nothing. So it's one of those mysteries that we may never have a solution to. Um, you know, in fact, this car may have been driving around for 50 years and no one knew the significance that, well, I would say it's significant now that there's a cultural following behind this. At the time, this was just a new film. There was no historical significance to it. Uh, there's no historical significance to this promotional car, obviously. But now, though, I mean, think of this, right? If you're a, a movie car collector and the, the one thing, the one gap in your collection is the elusive Star Wars Celica, and someone found it regardless of the condition. It can always be restored. can always be redone. I mean, how much would you pay for it? I'm not that kind of collector. I would pay nothing for it. But if, say, you were, hypothetically, right? I think that's why there's a there's been a, 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 a pressing search to find this because collectors pay a lot of money for stuff. And if you were able to find this car, if it was well-preserved, even better, or restore it and say, you know, we have proof this is the VIN number, it's a cool old Celica, and here is the story. Not only do you then appeal to regular car collectors who buy cars with interesting stories, um, again, you know, built by companies that did drug trafficking and you know, money laundering, stuff like that, you know, attracts certain, you know, certain types of collectors, maybe not all of them, but certain types of collectors. You also then bring the Star Wars collectors. This is a car that, you know, converges car culture and nerd culture. You know, you bring the nerds in who also collect Star Wars memorabilia and spend tons of money 
you know, they would say, oh, I want that too. So I'm, how much would you value this car? I don't know. I mean, these Celicas go up at auction for like 15, 20, 25K, depending on their condition. I mean, they're like in really nice condition. Original ones are getting big money, which is also kind of scary because I remember a time not too long ago when these were cheap, but I, what, what can you do? Um, but if you had the Star Wars one, I who knows what you would get? You know, that's, that's the thing. It would go up at auction. You might get 50K for it. But... I also am of the opinion, again, come on, just drive it. Just drive it. Who cares? Who cares? That's probably what happened to this car. It was probably absorbed into obscurity, and someone probably, you know, it maybe had the Star Wars stuff scrubbed off of it um, or it faded off of it because of the poor quality paint, and someone's just been driving it for for years, and it's been well-loved and well-enjoyed like a car should be. So I don't know. If you do want to see pictures of it, though, I got those posted up right now on the Automotive ADHD Facebook page. As always, you know where that's at, facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. Now, hey, I want to uh, thank you for joining me on this edition of the Automotive ADHD show. We talked about some fun stuff. We talked about some heavy stuff uh, and uh, talked about some weird mystery as well. So that's uh, very cool. Now, of course, you can subscribe to this show wherever fine podcasts and this one are downloaded. You can catch it on the radio, 91.7 KLZR, Saturday mornings. And if you want early access to the show, well, you got to check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash throttle warrior. Now, I will see you same time, same place next week when we find out if Han really did shoot first. Yeah, I'll see you then.